Welcome back to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm your author and host, Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 183. Today we're in John, the, the last chapter, chapter 21. Really interesting because John writes the end of the book in the last verses of chapter 20. You'll remember that clear down in verse 30, chapter 20, verse 30, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his, of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And when you go to chapter 21 and you get down to verse 25, he says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. There's two endings. And really the only reasonable expectation or explanation is that uh, John finished his book and then remembered, or someone said, hey, what about Peter's restoration? Or John realized that he kind of left Peter unredeemed uh, to that point in the book. And so the language is the same, the verbiage is the same, the idioms are the same, the similes are the same. It, it's it's the same writer who writes chapter 21. It's kind of, oh yeah, I left that part out. So it's significant because John thought enough of this material to go back and include it. And it shows the redemption of Peter, which I think is really important to the Bible to the church, and to the gospel. John chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened like this. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as the Doubter, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples whose names we don't know, were all together. Now they're all together in Galilee, which means that from the room where they were locked in and Jesus appeared to the disciples and Peter wasn't there, from that room in Jerusalem, they have gone to Galilee. As far as we know, all the disciples were in the room where Thomas touched Jesus' scars, except Peter. He had already quit. He'd already left and apparently has gone back to Galilee and apparently they've gone to get him. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. Where was Peter when Jesus called him? He was fishing. Peter has returned to his profession, the one he was involved in when Jesus called him. Peter has quit the ministry and gone back to fishing. He's walked away from his calling in Christ. He's given up. He's embarrassed. He's scared. He's quit. So they went out and got into the boat, but through the entire night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. 
if this story doesn't sound familiar to you, go look through the Gospels for the calling of Peter. Because this is exactly what Peter was doing early in his life with Jesus. When they fished, Jesus was in the boat with them. They didn't catch anything and Jesus said, throw the nets out on the other side. It's always, if you're a fisherman, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. It's the spectators who have all the brilliant ideas. And, and if you're a fisherman and somebody said, well, hey, why don't you cast over there? I've fished the entire lake through the entire night. Do you think casting in that one spot is going to make any difference? But, but people who don't fish are full of advice. And when you're a fisherman and you hear their advice, typically you roll your eyes and it's like, okay, sure, fine. And here's this guy standing on the shore. They don't realize it's Jesus. He's too far away to recognize. Why don't you throw your net out on the right side of the boat? And you will find some. Now, a lot of preachers jump off on the right side here and say, you know, Peter been doing things the wrong way. Ever since he betrayed Jesus, Jesus said, why don't you come back to the right side? It makes a cute message, but it's really not what's at work here. When they did, when they did throw the net out on that side of the boat, they were unable to haul in the net because it was so heavy with fish. Exactly like the first time Jesus said, throw the net out on the other side. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. You know it's still John writing because he makes himself out to be the one who recognizes Jesus every time. He's the one who sees and believes. He's the one who catches it first. Now it may be to make himself look better and it may be to make Peter look worse. It may just be to show you and I that Peter's kind of dense, right? But this little verse here convinces me that it's John writing this 21st chapter because this is exactly what John would say. It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd been fishing without clothes on, and jumped into the water. Kind of interesting. He's been fishing all night. They're out on the boat. They're by themselves, and they're working. And so Peter's either fishing in his underwear or fishing naked. He probably has his loincloth on, but that's it. Now he's going to jump in the water and swim, and so he gets dressed. Isn't that interesting? And there's something at work here that goes all the way back to the second chapter, third chapter of Genesis. You remember Adam and Eve sinned. Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she gave some to Adam. And then they hid from God when God came walking through the garden and God has to call to them, Adam, Adam, where are you? I'm here, Lord. Adam, why are you hiding? Because I was naked and I was ashamed. Peter feels shame. He has failed Jesus. Jesus is his best friend, but he dare not swim into shore in his underwear, so he gets dressed to go swimming. It's going to make the swimming much harder, but it's a symbol of Peter's shame. 
He understands it's Jesus. He's excited to see him. He doesn't want Jesus to see him in his entirety. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw there a charcoal fire with fish on it and some bread. A charcoal fire. When was the last time we saw a charcoal fire? It was in the courtyard of the house of Caiaphas' father-in-law. Right? It was in the courtyard where Peter betrayed Jesus beside the charcoal fire that the soldiers and guards had built there to keep warm. Same word, same term. And they saw there a charcoal fire. So the scene is already being set up for what's going to happen here. We're going back to that same situation in which Peter betrayed Jesus. Except now, Jesus has fixed them breakfast, fish that never swam in the water, and bread that never grew in a field. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Why? Now we're going back to that story about the little boy and his bread and his fish. You bring some of the harvest that I've provided you. You go find food for this mass of people. You contribute. Like the little boy did with his lunch, now you bring your breakfast. Because there are several of them, eight or nine, Jesus had some fish and some bread there on the little charcoal fire. He didn't have enough to feed eight or nine already prepared, but he had enough. He had enough to feed Peter. Are you beginning to catch on what's going on here? So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat. He's already greeted Jesus, hugged him, realized that, oh my goodness, it really is Jesus. I'm really in trouble. So soaking wet and dripping, he climbs back in the boat, helps them drag the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. The Gospel of John gives us the number of fish, 153. But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come now and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. Now we're back to that story of the upper room and what we call the Last Supper. Jesus took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these other guys? Notice that Jesus calls Peter by his given name, Simon Bar Joseph. He is not Peter. I tell you, you are Petros. 
You are the rock man. And on this Petra, on this rock, I will build my kingdom. His, his nickname for Peter, his pet name, his friend name was Peter. Petros, the rock man. But he said to him, Simon, son of John, doesn't call him Peter at all. He calls him by his proper name, as though he were addressing him legally, formally. Jesus assumes no relationship here. Simon, son of John, do you agapos me? Do you love me with all your heart? You've probably heard sermons about the four different words in Greek for love. Eros, which is that arm around the shoulder buddy love. You know, that that love that you're in the high school hallway and you see a member of the opposite sex and something inside your body says, hmm, she's kind of cute. She's got a nice smile. I think I kind of like her. It's that attracting love that pulls people together into relationship. But it's it's just attraction. It's just the beginning of relationship. It's still love. The Greek word is eros, from which we get erotica and all that other kind of stuff. It isn't a bad word. It isn't a dirty word. It's just that word for attraction that could turn into something deeper. Then there's philos or phileo in Greek. And, and that's the root word of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo is brotherly love. It's the arm around the neck of your buddy, roughhousing, playing around, horse playing. You're my buddy. You're my man. We're together in this. We're going to fight the world together. We're going to go out and play a football game and beat the world. That's phileo. It's the love that friends share. It's a little more intense than Eros in the long term. Because if you go without seeing that person for quite some time, you see them and your heart kind of leaps up in your stomach, you know, and, and you miss them. There's a connection there that runs deeper than just attraction. The third word in Greek for love is storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, storge. Storge is parental love. It's that love that says, even if you can't respond to me, I will love you. It's the love that puts a parent beside the bedside of a child who's been in an accident and is in a coma for weeks. And yet that parent never gives up. It's faithful, loyal, committed love, storge. It says, even if you can't respond back to me, I will still love you. And a lot of people kind of confuse storge with agape. But then there's agape. A lot of preachers say it's the kind of love that God has for us. And they're right. It doesn't just say, even if you don't love me, I'll still love you. It says, even if your response to me is absolutely inappropriate, even if you would kill me, I will still love you. It is that prioritizing, choosing, singular love for one person 
that's, that just surpasses all else. And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agapos me beyond any of these guys in this circle? Just a few days earlier, Peter had said, Lord, I'll die for you. I'll cut off some guy's ear for you. I'm with you till the death. And then he wasn't. You see, Peter, his entire life has been able to talk higher than he could live. He's popped a clutch on his mouth before his brain was in gear every day of his life. And Jesus is giving him the chance to just be Peter, to just do what he's always done and run, run his mouth. Jesus wants to understand Peter, and he wants to know if Peter understands him. Simon, son of John, do you agapos me? Peter's response is, well, yes, Lord, but you know, you know, I phileo you. I do love you, but you know that I love you like a brother. Peter doesn't take the bait. For the first time in his life, Peter is honest with Jesus, who's God, and with himself about who he really is. He's not the agape kind of guy, not yet. He will ultimately die for Jesus, but not yet. He says, Lord, you know, yes, yes, I love you, but you know, I phileo you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Shepherding work was, in Jesus' day, the lowest form of work in the world. If you couldn't do anything else, you were homeless and drunk, a farmer would hire you to tend his sheep through the night so he didn't have to stay up all night and watch them. Now we're back to the story of Christ's birth. See, there's a lot at work in this story. Peter, if you love me like a brother, if you really love me, go out into the dark and take care of my little lambs until the sun comes up and I come back. See? A second time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you agapos me? Don't you love me with all your heart, Peter? Aren't you the guy who drew his sword and said he'd die for me? Don't you agapos me? And again, Peter answers and he says, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He won't go that extra bit that Jesus is asking him about. He won't make a claim that's better than where he can live. Peter's changed. This whole failure and experience has has awakened Peter to his own frailty and his own faults and his own shortcomings. And now he's honest with himself and with Jesus. Lord, you know, I love you like a brother. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. 
It's the same thing. He just used the bigger word for older sheep. Peter, stay out in the dark and take care of my sheep. Even if the lambs grow into sheep, even if it's a while, even if it takes years until I come back, go out into the dark and watch my sheep until the sun comes up. It's not a, it's not a nonsensical thing. We, we kind of brush past it as though it doesn't mean anything, but it means everything. Peter, you've been unfaithful. You've been disloyal. If you love me, I need you to be loyal. Through the darkness, through the night, through the testing, through the trials, through the disappointments. Because my sheep need you. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it because it has, it has Simon Peter. It has men and women who watch through the night against the darkness, against the enemies, against the wolves, against the coyotes, against everything that would hurt my sheep. And if I'm ever to have any shepherd, Peter, it has to start with you. You have to be the prototype. I guess he was because the Catholic Church named their popes in his honor. Peter, I need you to watch my sheep through the night. If you love me, I need you to take care of my kingdom. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Wait a minute. Jesus changed his word. Twice he asks, do you agapos me? And the third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Do you really love me like a brother? The NIV says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you phileo me? The word there isn't really hurt. It's deeply moved. It's, it's, it's like there's thunder in his soul. His entire being responds now because Jesus has come to where Peter is. Jesus stops calling Peter to come to where Jesus is, and Jesus comes to where Peter is, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you really love me like a brother? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. What Peter's saying is you knew exactly where I was. You knew what I needed. You knew that I couldn't come any further that I wouldn't swear to what I couldn't live. You knew I was stuck here unless you forgave me, unless you, unless you came and got me. Now we're back to that story where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd 
would leave the 99 to go get the one. And Peter is the one. Oh, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you like a brother. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. There's no secret here. There's no hidden meaning. Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times. And three times, Jesus gives him the chance to undo that that forswearing. He swore he didn't know him three times, and Jesus gives him the chance three times to swear that he loves him. And Peter does. And the third time, Jesus says the same thing he said the second time. Feed my sheep. Watch them through the darkness. Because I tell you the truth, Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you pleased. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. It is the two-word calling of a rabbi to his disciple. It is the it is the calling to which Peter originally responded. The implication is that he forsook that calling when he denied Christ. And now that he has returned and sworn his allegiance and sworn his love, Jesus restores him and calls him again with the exact same two words. Follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who'd leaned back against Jesus at the supper and has said, Lord, who's going to betray you? John's talking about himself. When Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that that disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You see, Jesus says to Peter, he doesn't matter. Nobody else matters. My calling isn't to somebody else in your life. In your life, my calling is to you. And that's the calling that matters between you and me and nothing else matters. What I do with anybody else, that's my business. How they fulfill their calling, what I call them to do, where I call them to go, that's their business. That's between them and me. Your calling is between me and you. I need you to follow me. You don't have to keep up with John. You don't have to keep up with Thomas. You don't have to do better then. It's not a competition, pastors. It's not a competition. What I do with him, that's my business. You, and he says, he gives Peter the same calling a second time. Focus and follow me. I need you to concentrate on caring for the sheep. 
I choose to leave him here until I return, what's that to you? For this reason, a rumor sprung up among the disciples that John wouldn't die until Jesus returned. That's not what Jesus said, and John wants you to know that. And that disciple is the one who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have to be written. And that's the end of John's gospel, the real end. But it ends with this amazing redemption story. If the thief on the cross is the first, then Peter's the second, whom Jesus forgives. Peter is the first disciple Jesus calls after the cross. And at the moment that Jesus calls him, nothing that's happened before matters any longer. Peter becomes the first disciple that Jesus calls after his resurrection. Whatever's happened to you in the past doesn't matter. I went to teen camp one year and the teens started chanting because the preacher at teen camp said, what you've done in the past, it just doesn't matter. God is calling you today and where you've been, it just doesn't matter. What you've done, it just doesn't matter. And he got the kids to start chanting every time he said a line. The times you've lied and the kids would chant, it just doesn't matter. Those times you failed and the kids would say, it just doesn't matter. So at the on the final day of camp, the kids stood around chanting, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. They had shirts made. All those kids that were at that camp started turning up at youth events through the next year with t-shirts with printed on the front the words, it just doesn't matter. They knew what it meant. And it gave them the chance to explain to their friends at school what doesn't matter. That anything that came in your life before Jesus doesn't matter once you meet Jesus. The failures are gone. The lies are gone. The disappointments are gone. The shortcomings are gone. It just doesn't matter. It's exactly what Peter says to Jesus. It's exactly what John says to you and I. Wherever you were before this story impacted your life, doesn't matter. What you've done, where you've been, what you've said, who you've hurt, how you failed, it doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't care what you've done before, how you rebelled or slammed the door. No matter how far you've run or how long you've been untrue, Jesus doesn't care. He still offers forgiveness to you. It's the truth. We're going to move on to the book of Romans. And I'll explain that when we start that study. But before we leave the Gospel of John, can I ask you to pause right where you are and pray with me, Father? I need that kind of forgiveness. 
Whether you've claimed to know him or not, Father, I've claimed for a long time to know you, but I haven't always lived that way. Father, I've never known you before like this. Please forgive me, change my life, be my Lord, so that everything that came before this moment no longer matters. And what happens from this moment on is your business and mine. And I will follow you through the dark. I will, I will sit in the darkness and watch your sheep. I will do whatever job you give me. I will play whatever role you call me to. If you put me on the shelf, I'll sit there and watch the sheep from there. If you call me to do a podcast into the darkness, not knowing who might ever listen to it or what impact it might ever have, if any, I'll do that. Whatever you call me to, Lord, from this moment on, I'll do that because I need the forgiveness that says nothing that came before matters. Lord, give us that. Forgive us, redeem us, and then call us to accomplish your purpose until you come back or we meet you first. In Jesus' name, amen.